All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey, and I'm so excited to get started. It's a very special bonus episode today. I have my brother and my mom. If you are a fan of brand new information, the now defunct podcast, um, you will probably find yourself at home in this banter, in this familial banter. And mom's here too, and you guys know mom. Um, what do you guys want to talk about? Sobriety? You guys are both sober and you've both been on the podcast to talk about yeah. your sobriety. How's it going? Do a little check-in. Jay, how's your how's your boat? What? How's your boat? How's what your sobriety? That? You you likened it to a boat with a hole in it? There's a hole in my boat. No, it's fine. I like I honestly honestly I don't even think about it. 
that much. That's good. But here, let me ask you this, hot shot. Okay. <laughs> if I were to travel this winter and go to somewhere like a Scottish pub or something, wouldn't I culturally yeah. like want to have a beer? Like, how do you deal with travel and culture? Because I like, so if I'm like staying with a family in Japan and they're like, here, here's this warm sake that we've created that is our family mm -hmm. recipe. Like, how do I say no to that? Wait, is that a hypothetical? Is that a very specific hypothetical or is this a plan? All right, do you have a family that you're going to stay with in Japan? Because if it's hypothetical, we throw it out the window. But if it's a Scotland trip, which I think you're probably planning on. Why, wait, why do we throw it out the window? What ifs? Why do we throw what ifs out the window? Because that's just fear. Well, okay, so the Scotland one is probably more likely than the than a Japanese family taking me in. So I go to Scotland, right, to go climb Ben Nevis, and and everybody's <laughs> like, let's go to a Scottish pub, and it, that's not like a cultural thing. And I would feel like not pressure. Yeah, you would feel like it's like a bucket list situation. Totally. Like I've never been to a you know been to Scotland. I've never been to a. He's going to have a bucket of Scottish rye. I have a very specific <laughs> answer to this. And that is there's still some sort of part then that feels like alcohol is additive to a situation. And alcohol is ethanol. And it, it'd be the same as saying, well, when I go to France, am I going to have a cigarette? Because they still smoke in France and it's so chic and it's very cultural. But I'm like not even tempted to have a cigarette in France because I know that it's like would make me feel like shit and I don't like cigarettes. And so it's the same thing. So I, I would say definitely it doesn't I wouldn't. feel the same to me. I know. Well, I know it doesn't feel the same because of society. Well, I'm going to Italy in October, and that's one of the things that people have said is like, oh, gosh, the wine, you'll have to. And I'm, of course, I've not ever been a real wine drinker, but I'm not tempted to drink any wine. And I don't feel like it's rude to just say, nope. I, right. I, it's, I, I always have what this. What if you're at I, a vineyard and they're like, this is a 50-year-old wine we were saving just for your tour group? Jay, these what ifs are that's these what ifs tend to haunt us so much in sobriety. And if that were true, they'd be wasting it on me. So they'd be wasting a 50 year wine on me because I'm not a connoisseur. So it'd be easy to say, oh, no, don't don't waste that on me. No, give that to, you know, Joe over here, who's who's more of a connoisseur. I don't think it's rude. I, I just don't think it is rude to say no. There are kind ways to say no. Yeah, and sobriety is all about taking care of ourselves and not sacrificing coming home to ourselves for taking care of how people feel. And so... Well, let me ask you this again. Hot shot. Okay. <laughs> let me ask you this. <laughs> Can I still be sober if I have one pint at a Scottish pub after climbing Ben Nevis? This is where no one else can answer this for you. There's not some ruler, there's not some judge and jury who you're going to have to appear before and you're going to say, no, you must start over at day one. Not counting your sister. I know, I was going to say, what, <laughs> yeah, what do you think of this is? Holy cow, I'm like being raked over the coals here. <laughs> no, no, I don't judge. I, I don't judge. <laughs> I'm sharing my 
like how I think about it. All of this, all of everything I've created is my perspective on how I think about alcohol and life without it. And so if you go to Scotland, I think that if you leave it up in the air and you say, I want to see what I feel like, I think that chances are pretty uh, great that you probably will end up having a pint. I think that that doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion when you go to Scotland that you are going to have a pint of beer. I don't think it's additive to the situation. I don't think it's a requirement to enjoy Scotland and Scottish, Scottish culture. But if that happens, I also don't think then there's this um, starting over at day one it doesn't have to be that either. I think then you still would have to be deliberate about, okay, what is that? How did that feel? What did, there, there would be a lot of work that went into it after. But I just don't think there's the, these rules and, yeah. That's what I think, Jay. Mom, what do you think? Well, I think everyone deciding for themselves. And you've been sober for a couple of years probably now. And it hasn't been difficult at all. You just decided you weren't going to drink anymore and you don't drink anymore. And so it's very possible that you could have a pint in Scotland and then just go back to not drinking. I mean, when you did the podcast, your own podcast, First Descent, and you had a whole episode on sobriety and climbing and how it's really improved everybody's, you know, your friend who was quite a drinker and then his climbing improved based on being sober so, yeah, so deciding for yourself and seeing what you want to do, I think, is totally appropriate. And you knew before you just didn't want to keep drinking. You felt like shit. Well, Suzanne, you've talked about this sort of like binary thing that's like very common in like AA and stuff where you were telling me about some writer who struggled with alcohol and then stopped with the alcohol, but continued to do like mushrooms and stuff. And like that's... Mm -hmm from an AA perspective, that would be a problem. But yeah, yeah, from this sort of more nuanced perspective that that you champion, it's not necessarily a problem. Right. And I, I don't think anyone can answer that for anybody else. I do think that I am binary for my situation. I'm binary in the fact that when you invite a highly addictive substance back into your life and you try to enjoy it in an orderly fashion, it's uh, not designed to be enjoyed in an orderly fashion. And there's no control over that. And the freedom is only when you decide to say, no, it's my now favorite phrase that Annie Gray says, that 99% is a bitch, 100% is a breeze. And so is it possible for you to go to Scotland and then have a pint of beer and then go back to abstinence and, and, and not drinking at all and sobriety and all of the things that, yes, I mean, of course it's possible. I think that inviting a substance back in when you've been free from it for so long is inviting back in something that you might have to try to control again that is uncontrollable. And that's not for just some people. What if I'm just sober in the states of states and territories of the United States? <laughs> hey, Jay, Jay. Which includes Puerto I, Rico. I think then you'd be, if you were just sober in the United States, I think then you'd be missing out on a lot of fun travel because then I think that you would be, alcohol would be stealing a lot of those fun. But also Puerto Rico because yeah, that's a territory. Totally. I would also be sober in Puerto Rico. Which last time I was in Puerto Rico, 
I wasn't. <laughs> Sober, yeah. Can I ask you, Jade, do you have a sense of if you go to Scotland, climb this great climb, have a pint, do you have a sense of concern that you would go back to being sober? Or is there any sense of maybe you don't want to go back to being? Do you, what's the frame you're putting around that having a pint? Is it just a pint? Or are you really thinking then maybe you won't stick to sobriety? Or what, what's, what are you feeling? I really think that I could have a pint and then just be fine. For, but it's a, like a cultural experience that I'd re- really want. I do want to be careful with this conversation because people come to this space for encouragement in how to think about alcohol in a different way. And I think if the conversation starts to be, but you know, I mean, if you're in Scotland, like my message, and I never want it to get blurry, I I want to be very clear. My message would never be, but you know, if you're going to Scotland this summer, I mean, it's there's no reason for you not to have a pint and then get, like that would just never be my message because I think that for many, if not most of the people listening to this, whether or not they were addicted to alcohol, it doesn't matter. Alcohol is an addictive substance and when you invite it in, it's going to do its thing. And it takes a lot of work so that it doesn't. And if you're listening to this, you've probably done a lot of work and you don't want to go back. And so while Jay, for you, I can't talk about that for you and whether or not that would, but I know alcohol and alcohol does the same thing to everybody. It just depends on how much you drink of it. So I think my, my goal would be to say, what would it add to the situation other than you get to be in the culture, but you're already in the culture. You can enjoy the culture no matter what's in your cup when you're traveling. Like it literally does not matter what you're drinking. You are in the culture. You're absorbing the culture. You're with the people. I mean, it literally doesn't make a damn difference. And so if you had the choice of whether or not to drink this highly addictive substance or not, when you have been free from it for so long, for me, it doesn't make sense. Well, I, yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with you, Suzanne, because I mean, the thought of being like then hung over right. on a vacation is the, the worst. worst. Yeah, that's a terrible feeling. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about the idea of celebrating. So if you do this epic climb in Scotland and then you feel the need to celebrate, of course, but you've done really great climbs since you've been sober and celebrated. So the idea, uh, Suzanne says, what's in your cup? That doesn't have to be alcohol in order to add to the celebration of it all. And so this telling yeah. yourself that you can't actually celebrate, be in it, you know, be part of the scene unless you have a pint, that's just a, a lie to yourself. You're totally capable and you're a badass for being sober. And that's one of the things you've liked in that climbing community is the rebel of it of, no, I don't drink. Yeah. And what you did was to fast forward to the hangover. And and that's the reality, right? That's you kind of shifting back into reality from the romanticization of drinking a pint in Scotland. That's you romanticizing alcohol, right? Which we all do, which we've been taught to do, which we've been doing for years. But the realization of having a pint in Scotland 
isn't like, oh, this is great, cultural, yay. It's like, holy shit, this ethanol is working its way through my body, poisoning me, making me feel like shit. And then I'm going to miss out on this culture the next day. And so, yep. I mean, really forcing yourself to look at the reality of alcohol rather than getting carried away, romanticizing it. What about smoking pot? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know because I only I only talk about my story and I, I'm not a pot person. I, I know that, you know, we, we have a lot of, I mean, I wouldn't say a lot, but we have a handful of moms who have turned to pot on their alcohol-free journey in, in looking at it like, well, it's quote unquote better, which it might be for them. I don't know. I don't talk about that because I don't know it. I know I don't like it. Well, I, I I would ask you to talk about it more in your book because you just <gasps> mentioned in your book, in the intro, you mentioned that you smoke pot with your brother, but you don't name my name. I want my name in your book. I smoke pot with my brother, <laughs> I Jay. Know. And, and I said older brother. And you're like... <laughs> I'm asking for and that And you're like, it sounds edit. like you have more. <laughs> my, your older brother, you make it sound like you've got more Maybe than one brother. <laughs> Mom... <laughs> No, you don't. Um, no, no, no other brothers. No secret child. Yeah, my older brother. I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> I thought you um, weren't that crazy about pot anymore anyway. Yeah, doesn't it make you neurotic? I'm not. I'm just trying to find a loophole. Yeah, totally. It makes He's me afraid of my best friend. He's trying to be contrarian. Yeah, that's exactly uh -huh. what this feels like. Um, well, not entirely, because I do think, because we talked about this earlier in Jay's visit, was the travel and, and taking real part in all the culture by drinking. And so I know that that has been on his mind, but it does feel like, you know, Jay, you've always done this. You take a position and then you will argue it, even if you don't believe it. That doesn't <laughs> so sound like me at all. I do all. have the sense that my, that might be going on a little bit here. That No, that's totally not me. I think this is such a good discussion because I think this is a real thing that people think about is like, how can I enjoy a trip if I don't imbibe? And we've heard, had this discussion in groups too. And, but mostly people are like, yeah, I don't need to take a drink of wine in Italy in order to enjoy Italy. And that is the deprivation mindset too, right? In order to enjoy Italy, I don't need wine. And it's like, no, no, no. We need to take that a step farther in that wine will ruin Italy. <laughs> like not only will you just like yeah, yeah, you don't need wine to enjoy it. Like you can have fun without it. No, no, no. Wine will steal the fun from your Italy trip. Jay pint 2 3 4 whatever will steal your experience of Scotland. And so not only can you have fun and enjoy it without alcohol, but alcohol makes it almost impossible to enjoy it with it. And so I think that it's just fear of missing out. Am I missing out? It's the sliding door moment. Am I missing out if if alcohol was in was invited? Well, yeah, would it be more fun? And I think that we just always have to come back to what we know. But I think the bigger issue here is that a lot of like culturally significant like not ceremonies, but like alcohol is a big part of culturally significant events. And like maybe not just alcohol, maybe alcohol and other drugs. I'm thinking of like, you know, peyote and opium in certain contexts. Like 
ayahuasca, Mm -hmm. you know, like these are things that have cultural significance for different places. And can you really experience the culture of a place if you're saying like, you know, I will, I will go through all of the, all of the stuff except for the, the substance piece. And like, maybe that, maybe the problem is that the substances are so, so central to like ceremonial cultural things. You're not going to a Scottish ceremony, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I don't know where I'm going to end up in Scotland. If, you know, I might end up in a Scottish ceremony if I'm not careful. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a mind fuck to say, can I experience this culture without taking this, this substance that will numb my experiences? Like, I don't know if I can experience this culture without drinking a highly addictive toxin that numbs all of my senses. And it's like, wait like when we really talk about what alcohol does to us and that you could have the exact same experience in a scottish pub or in your garage it can feel exactly the same it's not additive to the experience it's highly detractive i'd like to ask another thing and like this is actually like curiosity this is (laughs) me being totally contrarian but okay what do you think about ayahuasca and like ketamine and some of the sort of hallucinogenic stuff that is being suggested now as like the mind opening stuff. Yeah. Like that actually has like psychological studied psychological benefits um, for people who have PTSD, for people who have depression. Where does that fall into the context of sobriety? I would need more information about like the addictive, like, because, you know, I've been researching so much about alcohol and and how many deaths are related each year to alcohol addiction and how addictive it is. In the, those drugs are not in the, ever in any list that I've seen in the top five most addictive drugs. So I would want to dig down and see, is there someone who's addicted to ayahuasca? Is, I don't know one, just anecdotally. And also scientifically like what what does it do i think that's the thing about alcohol is i've just followed the science and like i always bring it back to what it is and its properties and how it affects our physical and mental health and so i would need to do a deeper dive i just know you know like surface level that those are being used more and more and i mean have been for centuries for mind opening and all of that and so culturally, I don't see moms turning to ayahuasca to help with the stressors of motherhood and getting tricked by it. So that's why no, I don't that have would a be, huge problem with it. That would be pretty aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, did you read Michael Pollan's book, How that's, to Change Your that's Mind? That's actually about what LSD I was thinking. And, um, yeah, I was, I was thinking, psilocybin. I couldn't remember the name of that book. Yeah, it's called How to Change Your Mind. It's by Michael Pollan. I'll be very brief about this, but he he does a historic look at what happened with LSD. And it was initially really going to be researched for mental health and even for addiction, for helping with addiction. And then Timothy O'Leary, Timothy Leary. Yeah. He's, he made it very counterculture, you know, tune in. Leary. Yeah. Timothy Leary, tune in, drop out, whatever. And so then it became counterculture. So the government shut it all down. And so now there is a lot of research with LSD and psilocybin, but mostly LSD, regarding how it can help with trauma, with end-of-life fears when people have terminal illness. A lot of research, and 
they're still looking into it. So to say as recreationally, the point when we're sober is we want our mind to be our mind, right? And there are uses for hallucinogenics that are expanding our mind or working with severe depression or whatever. But when we're talking about our sobriety, we're talking about being clear headed, being present where we are. And I think uh, any hallucinogenic that changes that, that's counter to what we're, what we're talking about. There may be a place for it and people may want to do it, but that isn't really in the wheelhouse of what we're talking about when we're talking about sobriety from alcohol. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it comes up on the page. Sometimes people say, I like this, uh, whatever this drink and this not alcohol, but it's, I don't even know if it has THC. CBD is fine, but I don't know. Pot comes up and it it gets reported a lot and I let it go because I know that it helps some people in their journey getting free from alcohol. I think it's one step at a time. I think that if that's going to help you, then, you know, you have to work through that. I just... I don't like it because I don't like how it makes me feel and I want to be present and I want to be fully here and available to myself and my family and I and that would get in the way of it. And so coffee doesn't. <laughs> or sugar. Yeah, sugar doesn't. Jay, what do you think? I think that yeah, I mean alcohol is a, in its own category. Like it doesn't make sense to conflate alcohol because actually you hear that alcohol and other drugs, but like it's not yeah. the same at all. For one thing, there isn't this like massive. It's the most dangerous drug. Yeah. And there isn't this massive corporate entity that's like pushing ketamine on everybody. You know, like you need right. ketamine to enjoy your, yeah. you know, your your family Thanksgiving. Trip. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I mean, alcohol is obviously it's in its own category and Maybe the thing that I'm struggling with is the the sort of all or nothing mentality to it. And, you know, I mean that there's beauty in in the shades of gray. And I, I think that if you just say never under any circumstance in any any substance at any time ever, I mean, it starts to feel harder for me than to say, you know what, like maybe I go to an ayahuasca retreat in Ecuador. Actually, when Kate, when I was asked Kate and I was like, hey, Kate, could I go on an ayahuasca retreat? And she's like, sure. And then you asked her, she, you were <laughs> like, are you sure it's okay for Jay to go to Ecuador to go on an ayahuasca well, retreat? because you wanted Russell to go. Yeah. And, and yeah. she was like, oh, I thought ayahuasca was the place. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I thought it was the island off of Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> I think for all of it, there's no, you don't, well, you might have to appear in court, but not, not what we're Wait, talking well, about. I have there's to appear no, in court? You know, That's news to me. I mean, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you don't. But I mean, one might. What did I and, say? And Holy you cow. work with your lawyer. <laughs> you know, you will now have to appear in court. But there's not, there's not this judge and jury. And that's why I think AA gets a bad name. One of the reasons is this hard line and it feels very judgment and, and full of shame. And it's just, 
how do you want to feel and how how do you want to show up in your life and what is serving you and have you have we been tricked in looking at all of that stuff and how do we cope and yeah I mean I love not hang- having hangovers and I love like feeling like I'm in control of what goes in my body and not not allowing sort of these like toxins you know and I mean, that's a good feeling and it's a good feeling of control and health. And I really like that. Yeah, it's next level living. I mean, it's the best. But I think that's a really good way to, to wrap it up. And and the, the sort of full circle that Jay just sort of did here, you know, like I think it would be smart to do that. And then the more we talked, it's like, yeah, but I do feel so good being sober. And that <laughs> that's really the bottom line, right? Right. Yeah. Like no more putting substances in our body that make our mind and our body feel like shit. (laughs) Like, look, huh. Imagine that. (laughs) That, by the way, are highly addictive. Like that's the thing. Like let's not ever lose sight of this. It's not just alcohol is bad. It's that it's fucking as addictive as nicotine. What if a St. Bernard comes up on me when I'm out in the snowy wilderness with a thing of whiskey around his neck? (laughs) What do I do then? No, that's going to be a great sober first to check off your list. Wait, what's a sober first? A sober first is the list that you have as you're embarking on your sober or sober curious journey to think about what have I not experienced sober? Fourth of July, um, my birthday, summer, you know, you've not experienced your birthday sober, like when you're. No, I mean as an adult. (laughs) Oh, as an adult. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Climbing in Scotland. And so all of these firsts that really lay n- new neural pathways in our brain and divorce alcohol from that situation. And you're just giving yourself a chance. And so running into a, you know, St. Bernard with whiskey. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> badass sober first, I gotta say. <laughs> Put it on the list just in case. Just in case. You never know. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Love, Moo. Love you. Love Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay. I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.